Before we get into today's broadcast, I want to let you know about a special gift I have for you. I am so excited that we are walking together through the book of Hebrews. Friends, we're going chapter by chapter, phrase for phrase, sometimes word for word. And I want to send you a Hebrews Bible journal. This would allow you to take your own sermon notes as we study together. You can journal your prayers, and I know this is going to be a great complement to your study through the book of Hebrews with us. If you go to my website, awakenedtograce.com, find the Hebrews Bible Journal link, and when you give a generous gift of any amount, then I will send you this Hebrews Bible Journal that I know is going to enrich your walk with the Lord and your study of Scripture. Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Today we come to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 in this sermon called Jesus, the Forever King. You know, these are some of the strongest affirmations in all of the scripture of the deity of Christ. It shows God the Father affirming Christ the Son as God. Very important scriptures. The premise of Hebrews 1 is to show that if we are going to worship God rightly, then we must think rightly. We must feel rightly. And friends, today we're going to see great truth revealed in the Word of God. I'm so glad that you're with me through this study. If you've missed any of chapter 1, Go back, download my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, and there you can follow this great series and many, many more sermons just like it right at your fingertips, all free and accessible to you. Download Awakened to Grace today or visit my website, awakenedtograce.com. In verses 1 through 3 is to teach that Christ is better than any man, than any mortal. Now, in verse 4 is a great transition, and he's going to teach Christ is better than any angel. He's going to teach that Jesus is not some super angel. Jesus is not just some better, higher, created, superior being. No, Jesus is is God. Jesus is deity. And what we're going to see in today's text is God the Father is going to affirm God the Son as Lord. And the whole point, the entire premise of what we are studying is this. You will not worship God rightly if you do not think rightly. If you do not feel rightly toward God, how many wrong teachings, how many wrong doctrines, how many wrong heresies, how many wrong denominations and 
different ways of worship have sprung up out of the misinterpretation of these verses. And how fitting on a day like Resurrection Sunday to be handling, as Scripture says, to rightly divide. That means to rightly handle the word of truth. What a fitting Sunday to be talking about Jesus, the forever king, as Lord of lords and king of kings. Now, verse 4, this is important that you understand this. If verses 1 to 3 is that Christ is better than any man, then the author of Hebrews is going to escalate our view, and he's going to say then Christ is better than any angel. He's higher than the angels because he's the creator of them. He is not an angel. He is the creator of the angels. Therefore, he is more exalted. So what, what we saw in verse 4 last Sunday, that Jesus is better than the angels, verses 5 to the end of the chapter, verse 14, is really an explaining. It's an exposition of verse 4 alone. And he's going to quote seven times out of the Old Testament. Sorry, I was going to show you. You can download the app and I didn't mute my phone. It's muted. Don't worry. It's good now. And what is he going to do? He is going to give explanation, verses 4, all the way down to 14. Verses 5 to 14 is an explaining of verse 4 alone. He's going to quote seven times out of the Old Testament to affirm the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 4, 5, and 6. And we called it Jesus better than the angels. This Sunday, we're calling it Jesus the forever king. And let's begin in verse 7. We're going to continue the thought. Jesus is more superior. Jesus is more excellent. Jesus is better than the angels. Why? Because he's God. And because he's the creator of the angels. Let's understand today. Verse number 7. It says, he says of the angels, he makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire. Now let's understand what this means. I want you to note first, if you're a note taker today, I want you to note this because you'll enjoy this, I think. I want you to note first how it says he makes how easy it is to overlook that. But that is a major statement in the scriptures. Now remember the contrast is verse 7 and verse 8. The point is angels are created. Jesus is uncreated. Angels are made by God. Christ has always been because he is God. That is the point. That is the contrast between the two verses. Of the angels, he says, he makes. But of the Son, he says, your throne is forever and ever. He is uncreated. Do you see the contrast? Note what he says. He makes not the angels. Note what it says. He makes his angels. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is the commander of the armies of heaven. And you know who the armies of heaven is? It's the host of the angels. 
Do you know how many angels the Bible teaches that there are? The Bible teaches later on at the end of the book of Hebrews, it calls the angels innumerable. That's how many angels there are. There are innumerable. In Revelation, it teaches that there are maraud of angels. You know what maraud means in the Greek? It is 10,000. And you know why it's 10,000 into the Greek? Because it was the highest numeric number in the Greek in this ancient time. It was the highest numeric language, uh, numeric value. And Scripture says there are myriads upon myriads of angels, so many that they are innumerable, the book of Hebrews says. Now, why does that matter? Because he makes, they are created. He makes his angels. He commands them. He is in charge of them. Friends, do not let anyone ever tell you that Christ is simply an angel. That is a heresy. It is a blasphemy. Christ is the creator, and Christ is the commander of such angels. Amen? Now, why does it say winds? There are three possible reasons why he compares angels to winds. This is a quotation from the Psalms. Why are they compared to wind? Well, note this. Number one, because wind is invisible. Wind is one of the Aspects of God's creation that cannot be seen by the naked eye. Did you know angels are invisible as well? Angels can manifest themselves. Angels do have the ability to make themselves known and seen. But by and large, angels operate as agents of God invisibly, just as the wind. Number two, I want you to note this. It is also because of the great force that when they're sent out by God, as it says in verse 14, often they come with great force. In Kings 19.35, Israel is facing an army, a swarm of army, 185,000 men ready to slaughter Israel. And you know what God does? In one night, God sends one angel. And that one angel kills 185,000 men in one night alone. Friends, you don't mess with angels. When they are sent out by God, they can come with great force. I was reading this morning, as a matter of fact. Daniel chapter 6. You know, when I say I was reading, I was really listening. Don't let me fool you. I was listening to Daniel chapter 6. And I don't know how I missed this. Maybe it just wasn't on my radar. But as I'm thinking so deeply on angels this Resurrection Sunday, it just stood out to me in a new, fresh way. Do you know what happened when Daniel was thrown into a lion's den? And The king comes the next morning and says, Daniel, was your God able to deliver you? And Daniel says, of course. Do you know what Daniel says the Lord did? The Lord sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. An angel did that. Shut their mouth. Can you not picture an angel just with his hands over their mouths? Mm Mm-mm. 
you're not going to touch God's anointed. Amen. Angels are often compared to wind. Why? Because we believe they're invisible, because we believe they come with great force. And then number three, because... Hang on, let me get it. They come with great force. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, because of the speed with which they come. Again, Daniel. Do you remember when Daniel prayed in Daniel 9, verses 21, 23? Daniel's praying, is interceding. Read it for yourself. Who comes and appears to Daniel? The angel Gabriel. And do you know what the scriptures say? That as Daniel prayed, Gabriel made swift flight to Daniel because of their swiftness. How many of you got knows God is able to rescue us using his angels? Amen. He's able to respond to our needs using his angels. Angels have an incredibly active role in the church today. And we'll talk about that more next week when we come to verse 14 to conclude the, the section. What do the angels do? They are sent out by God for those who will inherit, to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's us, friends. They're sent out by God to minister to us, to help us, to serve us. What an amazing thought. Now, he says, he makes, he is the creator of them. His angels, he is the owner, the proprietor of them. And he makes them as winds. Why? Because they're often invisible, because they come with great force, and because of their swiftness. But now watch what he says. His ministers as flame of fire. Now, again, this is teaching the, super, the, the superiority of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Christ is not an angel. He's above them. Therefore, his angels are what? Ministers. Now, why would it say a flame of fire? Because if you're going to take notes, please note this. Angels execute God's judgment. This is speaking of divine judgment. And angels are the executors of God's judgment. Do you remember when angels escorted Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was those two angels that destroyed it by fire. Angels execute the judgments of God. One day, the Bible teaches in Revelation 20, 15, that every person who has ever walked the earth, whose name is not found written, in the Lamb's book of life. It not just, listen, it not only says that they will go to the lake of fire. But read it for yourself. Revelation 20, 15. The angels of God will throw them into the lake of fire. What a serious thing. Angels are the executors of God's divine judgments. That ought to cause us to pause. It ought to cause us to reflect. Lastly, because angels, when they do manifest themselves, can often be so brilliant like fire. Do you remember when the stone was rolled away? Who was it that rolled the stone away? It was an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord. And do you remember how it says the angel of the Lord appeared? Like lightning. So much so... That the soldiers who were around fell as dead men. Why? They appeared as bright as lightning. Isn't that a fascinating thing? 
Why did he roll the stone away? Not to let Jesus out, to let an unbelieving world in. That's why. And an angel of God did it. So note this. His angels are as winds. His angels are as fire. Now, verse number 8. Note with me. But he says of Christ, of the Son. Why does he say it? Because, friends, he wants the world to hear it. He wants the world to know it. This is going to be God affirming Christ the Son as God. What an amazing thought. This affirms the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this mean? This means Jesus is not just a vague idea. Jesus is not a historical figure. Jesus is not even a religious figure. Jesus is not just some figment of our imagination. Jesus is God. And he must be worshipped as God. If we are to worship God rightly. So note what he says, verse number 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God is forever and ever. Now, this is God the Father speaking of the Son. This links directly to verse number 2. Remember, in week 1, we called it Jesus, the language of God. How did God speak in the Old Testament times? In a fragmented way. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. But verse number two, but in these last days, how is it that God speaks? Through his son, by his son, literally in son, the language of Jesus. Why? Because he's the final and the decisive word of God. And now what the father is going to affirm, he says, thy throne, O God. There is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures themselves. Your throne, O God, is for how long? Forever and ever. You know, in the Psalms that we often call the man of sorrows, Jesus felt so acutely that his days were cut short. He felt it. He died at only the age of 33. Taken in his prime. But no. Why was he willing? Because his throne is forever and ever. Amen. Your throne, O God, the deity of Christ, is forever and ever. There will be no end to the reign, to the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your scepter is uprightness. The scepter of your kingdom. Now this speaks volumes, church. I don't know how many of you have ever been wronged by another person. I counsel with many people. I often hear very tragic stories. I've sat with many, many people 
who have been molested as children, who have suffered rape, who have been taken advantage of. There are many injustices in our world. And how many of you know our world is getting worse? It's not getting better. See, that's going to be part of next week too. The world is going to be like a well-worn garment and one day it's going to be discarded because things do not get better, friends. They get worse. Many of you have been wronged before. Many of you have had injustice done to you. Many of you have been victimized before. Well, let me tell you what's coming one day, my friends. What's coming one day is the pure justice of God. One day, Jesus Christ is going to establish his throne on this earth. And he's going to make all things new. And everything is going to be under the control and the sovereignty and the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ quite literally. Right now, his kingdom exists, but it is perceived by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. But one day, he's physically going to set up his kingdom. And do you know what's going to happen with his kingdom? Here's what the point is. The point is, is that it is a kingdom of justice. The point is, it is a kingdom of uprightness. The point is, it is a kingdom of righteousness where everything that's ever been done wrong is going to be made right. And you and I can look at, our, at the justice of the world today. We can look at the governments of the world today. And what do we see? We see crookedness. We see corruption. And the word that the Holy Spirit uses here is the scepter that he's going to have, which is an emblem of royal rule. It is an emblem of authority and power. And the word the Holy Spirit uses is upright. In other words, it's the exact opposite of corruption. It's the exact opposite of crooked. It's the exact opposite of anything that is slanted or leaning or get by with or evade. It literally means righteousness. It means upright, straight. Amen. And everything, every wrong will be made right. Every wrong. That's what we have to look forward to. Your throne, oh God, is forever and ever. What a powerful, stunning statement. The scepter, your scepter is uprightness, the scepter of your kingdom. Again, the Holy Spirit confirms this in the book of Esther. Do you remember when Esther approaches the king? How did you know that you were accepted by the king? He lifted his scepter. The scepter of the Lord is uprightness. Now, verse number nine, look at it with me. For what did Christ do in his earthly life? Notice the past tense of this. He loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Oh, I love this. He loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Now say amen if you're with me right now. I want you to understand this, my friends. Jesus not only did righteousness, he loved it. Do you? Do I love 
righteousness in my life. In other words, let's say it this way. Do we love the things that God loves? And do we hate the things that God hates? For many of our lives today, this order is reversed in our lives. We love our sin. We love our wickedness. We love the things that bring us pleasure. No. Scripture says that Christ loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Do you know what would absolutely rearrange your life today? Is if you began to adapt this and say, God, I want to change in my life where I love the things that you love and I hate the things that you hate. Christ not only did righteousness, he loved it. This speaks of his character. This speaks of his conduct. He not only did it, it was more than that. He loved it. How many of us today, yes, we follow Jesus. We're Christians. Yes, we reverence God, certainly. We care about God and we care what God thinks. But how many of us today can say, I love righteous things? Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.